0: Hey, and good afternoon, everybody. Welcome aboard. It's Thursday, and we caught him.
1: You caught, caught me outside. <laughs> good afternoon, Don.
0: <laughs> good evening. How are we doing, everybody? It's Thursday, it's Deering Live, and uh, welcome to the show. We are absolutely thrilled today. We're excited to welcome the coolest cat in New Orleans. Uh, Don Vappi has, has really strong roots in the area, living and breathing the Creole culture, tradition, and heritage, and actually winning awards for his efforts to preserve its fascinating history. A hugely respected jazz banjoist and storyteller, uh, Don is here today to talk about all things banjo and New Orleans. His latest album, The Blue Book of Storyville, is available now uh, at DonVappy.com, and it is absolutely incredible. Uh, and as Dave Gelly from The Observer newspaper wrote in 2020 when reviewing the album, it's about time someone showed the jazz world what the banjo can really do, and who better than Mr. Don Vappy. Don, how are you doing?
2: I'm, I'm good, actually. I'm, I'm doing yeah. great. <laughs>
0: Sorry about the that <laughs> rude interruption with your, your tipple before, but well, uh, that's, welcome that's, aboard that's, to the show. That's great.
2: That's okay. I was, I was uh, you know, you caught me. I thought, oh, I got a minute. <laughs>
0: i didn't do it on purpose i promise that's okay that's all right Um, excellent well thank you for joining us again and uh, we'd love to invite you before we you know get into the conversation um do you want to play a little something for us and uh get us kicked off for the afternoon
2: uh yeah Uh, yeah i'll play something i mean you know why not let's do it so let's see uh this is an old Sam Morgan tune, uh, Sam Morgan band called "Bogalusa Strut" from the late 1920s. <laughs> Thanks, man thank you i did the same thing when we did that show with Bela fleck in uh in new york man i got i get distracted <laughs> i know all these banjo players are looking at me you know i'm like oh shucks <laughs> Okay,
3: start overthinking things
2: yeah exactly man how you doing dave
3: doing real well it's just it's uh yeah, it's, it's good to see you. It's been, it's been a little bit now.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, as Wendell Brunius would say, good to be seen and not viewed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> True. True.
3: Well, uh, let's talk about this for this album that you released this past year, The Blue Book of Storyville. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this? And, and also, why you're, as you're getting into it, why don't you tell the people that don't know what Storyville is as well, to kind of explain that.
2: Okay. Well, uh, I'll start off by saying that the album was an extension of uh, my initial um, uh, my initial uh, in my my initial plan was to do an album of original music, all written to uh, as a tribute to New Orleans, the 300-year anniversary. So there's four songs on this album that are part of that. Um, I wanted to write songs that were either historically connected or just in my experiences growing up in New Orleans. So Blue book, of, Blue, book, the Blue book of Storyville is actually a song I wrote about the Blue Book of Storyville. The Blue Book was a book that listed all of the working ladies' in the Storyville district and all of the houses. Um, I guess I could say it. They they were prostitution. They were listed in these books. In fact, uh, you should look this up. It's it's extremely interesting. In, In some ways, it's, I mean, you can look at it as being a terrible thing. And you can also look at it as actually empowering women because they actually gained a lot of power in this. So, um, anyway, I didn't get into that in, in terms of the, of the song. I just, it just came to me and I wrote it, but that's what that's about. Uh, and then there's another one called, uh, I would, if I could, which is sort of my impression of my first gig with new Orleans musicians, some of the older guys of which I now am. And, um, uh, Just seeing how everybody, you know, this music is, what, right now it's like 100 years old, 100 plus years old. And it still touches people in a way that they want to dance and enjoy it. And they they just, it's so welcoming. People come into it. So that was, you know, that that song was about. And I wrote another one called uh, Port Bayou St. John. And we know it, uh, Dave, you and I know it, as being Bayou St. John. And that was actually where it meets Lake Pontchartrain. It was the first port of New Orleans before New Orleans was actually incorporated as a city. Well, so, uh, And that song sort of has a bit of a uh, a Caribbean kind of thing that's I didn't realize it, but I guess it does. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was Evan Christopher who brought it up to me. He says, man, this sounds like a, and I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's one of the dances from the, that we got from the Haitian population yeah. that came in. So, yeah. And uh, I did Féidot Do, which is a, um, an old Creole melody. Anyway, it's all about, the Blue Book of Storyville is all about a Creole album, basically. It's a jazz album, but it's kind of like a folk album, too, in that it's a lot of stories.
3: And the musicians on it were, they are New Orleans Scats. Where, where are they from?
2: No, I have two, two guys from the UK, and uh, I have Dave Kelby on guitar, and uh, David Hornyblow on, on clarinet, and uh, Sebastian Girardeau on bass all fine musicians I've played with before. And, uh, you know, Dave was the producer on it. And, you know, it's hard to do something at home that's not exactly... I've, I've always lived in this, this world, man, and I realize that tourists come here and some of the destination management people, I would imagine wherever you live, the destination management people say, well, you know, tourists are coming here to hear this, so you need to do that, and you have to do what people expect. To hear. And I always felt like people are coming to hear, here to see what it is. I'm just going to be me because I'm, I'm it, right? I grew up here. My family's been here since 1829. So, yeah. So anyway, uh That's the first time I'm saying anyway in this interview. (laughs) Um, I I decided, I called Dave, I said, hey, man, let's do an album. He says, I want to do a Creole album. I want to do a Creole-based album. I said, great, I'll fly over, we'll do it. And that's what happened. And he was so good at it, it actually got chosen by the, the Sunday Times in London as the top jazz album of twenty twenty.
3: Awesome. It's a great it's so, a great album for really, everybody should man, definitely check it out.
2: Really proud of it. So thank you very mm-hmm.
3: much. Um you mentioned you mentioned uh uh Creole how he wanted to do a Creole album. So for and you're of Creole heritage, can you can we talk a little bit about what that is for people that don't know and and what does what you know and what role does it have in Louisiana culture and in the music, the influence in the music in
2: Louisiana? Well, um, the people of Haiti before it was overthrown, they thought of themselves as Creole. Uh, they came here and Creole has all these different meanings. Right. Uh, one of the meanings from the Spanish who were uh, in New Orleans, you know, this is all when New Orleans was changing hands and, Between the French and the Spanish and the English, and back and forth. And they felt like Creole was the designation for a Spanish person of Spanish heritage who was born in the New World. But it's sort of become uh, a term of multiculturalism, I guess. So, and it can be different depending on where you are in the world. But in terms of New Orleans and southeast Louisiana, it sort of has a very strong Haitian uh, influence. Uh, You know, people don't realize in New Orleans we have Louisiana is a dominant French culture. But we have English, German, Portuguese, Italian. I mean, you know, we have all these different groups. I mean, it's a port city. So it's it's. It just happens. And whether, you know, the American racial construct tried to make laws to separate people and create class based on, I guess, skin color. I don't know. That's a whole nother conversation. But the point is the American, American racial construct didn't really work in New Orleans because regardless of the law, people mixed and talked to each other and married each other and that's why, like Kalamu Asalam would say, there's more white-looking black people in New Orleans than anywhere in the world. I mean, <laughs> you know. So, you know, I would hope that maybe New Orleans could be a, a blueprint culturally for a lot of people, at least a lot of people in America. I mean, not you don't have to be like us, but, you know, be accepting of everyone. I mean, we're mm-hmm. all the same. We just look different. -hmm. We all go through the same stuff. It just looks different. So,
3: (laughs) so how does how's what's the influence in the music, especially when it comes? How how would you kind of come musically and and, and talk about that?
2: Yeah, I can tell you this. I grew up playing the music of my generation, the the Earth, Wind, and Fire, James Brown, and we had a local group called the Meters. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Who, I mean, and. And believe it or not this this rhythm this uh that rhythm is is based on Three, three strong beats in, in a four beat measure. One, two, three, four. Ba, ba, ba. So, while in Haiti, we had one, two, three, four. Or we had one, two, three, four. So, the two of them together comes. Well, just about every hit song in New Orleans was based on that. I mean, mm-hmm. hey, Pockyway from the Meters. <laughs> I'm, playing, I'm playing every little eighth note in the middle of there, but. Right. So we've had, that rhythm has stayed in the culture. I mean, uh, uh, for now. I mean, everybody's taking it. I, I've seen all these artists in, in the pop music take it. Some I can't think of their names right now because I didn't think about that question coming up. But I've heard it in some of the... Uh, one of the female vocalists who's made big hits. That's in one of her songs where it breaks down to this... da 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 anyway, but that's that's the second time I said anyway in this interview <laughs> uh, but th- that's one of my words I'm trying to stop saying, <laughs> but you see it's it's that it's that groove i mean we music is part of us. I really believe the African element of the African concept of one whole like music is not separated from life or separated from you cooking or separated from you playing a game. I mean, everything is part of the whole. So I I just think that concept is what actually glues us together in new Orleans, in Southeast Mm -hmm. Louisiana. Now, you know, we have the, like I said, the American racial construct creates problems because, you know, for whatever reason, but I'm, I don't want to get into that. I'm just, but the real deal is, we're all the same. And culturally, we have a lot in common with each other, if you're willing to become part of the culture and accept it. So, uh, in fact, at one point, uh, we were talking about Creole, and, and I actually spoke to a very dark-skinned person, because sometimes Creole used to be a, a divisive term in, in the South. and mm-hmm. Creole, to a lot of people, meant that you were passing for white, you know, you didn't want to be black. You were passing Mm -hmm. for white, which didn't mean you didn't want to be part of the black community. It just meant you were taking advantage of some things that you could take advantage of because of the racial the the American construct. Right. So, uh, but you know, I spoke with some, some very dark skinned people who, who feel actually felt more comfortable being, Uh, called Creole than black or African-American because Creole more identified them culturally. It had a connection to them. I mean, I have relatives from Africa. I have relatives from Ireland. I have relatives from a lot of different places. So when you say African-American, it kind of limits you, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I still can't figure out where white comes from. So... (laughs) I mean, it's like okay, it's a, it's a absence of color. I don't know. Anyway, uh, th- that's the third time I said anyway. Damn. Okay. So I-, I didn't want to get into it that deep, but that's kind of where it is. Sure. You know, it's a cultural designation. It's not a racial designation. That's what I'm well,
3: trying. Well, how did you first get interested in playing the banjo? Um, you know, growing up in in New Orleans at the at the age you did.
2: Well, I, you if know, the heard, at the no, time I had heard, no, in, in my generation, we hated it because it, to us, it meant uncle Tom. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, and I mean, I, I was alive when civil rights was passed. So, I mean, that's part of me. And I'm not trying to upset anybody with this, but I lived through it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I was in college and, and the professor says, Oh, Vappy, I got a job for you. It's great. The next day, oh, Vappy, you can't play that job. It's got to be an all-white band. I mean, it's the kinds of things, things I went through. So, but the banjo, when I realized it came from Africa, the thought came to me. How can one group of people allow another group of people to make them hate something that belongs to them? Now, the way I really got to it, So I quit playing music for three months because I didn't want to compete with disco. (laughs) (laughs) I think the song was Bad Mama (laughs) Jamma. And you play that over and over for like 20 minutes. And I said, man, you could teach a chimpanzee to play this. I quit. And I quit the band. But the thing is, I started working at Whirline's for music, which doesn't exist anymore. It was the oldest music store in the country. And I picked up the banjo just to clean it off. And tenor banjos are real popular in New Orleans because I, I, I have another theory for that. But I picked it up and, and I played it. I thought, man, that's very percussive. It's very short. And it reminded me of the funk lines that guitar players played. Like if I was in Earth, Wind & Fire something, it would be like...
4: That,
2: that kind of stuff, you know, Motown, there was always two guitar players. One playing chords, like... And the other going... Doing a little percussive part that was kind of like a fill. And I thought, damn, a banjo's perfect for that. You know, you don't have to mute the string or nothing. It's just popping right out there. It's perfect than muting a guitar string. So that attracted me. And then I just started to like the sound of it. And I realized all the different things you could do with it. I mean, you know, I play ballads with it. It still sounds pretty. There's all these banjo jokes too, you know. But it it's really can be a beautiful instrument. It's an instrument. It's not a, it's not a symbol of anything. It's an instrument. It's, a, it's an evolved from the goni or the halam. And when I get to play with African musicians, they, they embrace me. So, And I actually did a lot of school programs in the late 1980s in the nineties. And I would try to teach kids, you know, that this was, was not the negative thing that maybe their parents thought it was. Right. So.
3: Um, do you want to play maybe a, a ballad that you mentioned the banjo can be used for a ballad. Um, a lot of people just think the, the, the tenor banjo, or the four string banjo as this, you know, cheng cheng cheng, you know, oh, very, yeah. very loud. And and fast.
2: Chink, chink, but, um, chink. Chink, chink, chink. Shake your booty. I know, yeah, that's what that sounded like when you did But that's exactly right, man. Because when I first started playing and I got on the scene, you know, we're playing Bourbon Street Parade. And I'm everybody's like
1: da, 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 da.
2: the banjo players played mm-hmm. to me that sounds like a train crossing. <laughs> but I played
1: um
2: I would play things like that, right? So as my wife is a historian, and she listened to some Haitian music, and she said, you know, you, you play more like what you would think the influence, uh, with all the influence in, in, of jazz, of the Caribbean and Africa and all, you kind of play more like that than the guys that just play this. Yeah. So they would tell me, oh, you know, you don't have to do all of that. Just play this. And I'd say, oh, thank you very much. And when they leave, I do what I want, right? <laughs> But um, by, by a ballad, I mean, and Robert Parker turned me on to a lot of banjo music. You know, he turned me on to Harry Reeser. And I, you know, that was a, I mean, he wasn't like African or nothing. He was, but he played some interesting things on the banjo, you know, like, um, and I probably can't play it, but, uh, you know. You know? That kind of stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting, so I I started learning some of that. But then I thought, you know, banjo's cool and it's it's got its qualities, maybe we can learn a ballad. So I learned Stella by Starlight on it. Kind of stuff, so mm-hmm. I didn't think I'd play that today, so I didn't practice.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great, it's a great demonstration, though. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, we've talked about how, how you feel the the banjos, the, the four string banjos, versatile, and uh, you've definitely influenced me in, in, in thinking that way. And where do you think the band the four string banjo can go in the future because it's still feels like there's a lot of room for it to to grow that um you know and like the five string banjo is starting to grow you know with with like bailiff fleck and, and other players into more than just the the bluegrass that sort of sound um do you think that that the four string banjo can go into that direction and to kind of play anything
1: yeah
2: i do um i think but in the in the idea that any instrument can do anything right so you know i studied bass so that was my main thing and and a lot of the the way i play in the the i guess the ability my technique or whatever is based on a lot on what my bass teacher bob Rowe uh instilled in me of course back then when i was 18 i didn't didn't hear it I mean I didn't acknowledge it, but I didn't ignore it. I remember everything he said to me. And And was this upright bass
3: or electric bass?
2: This upright, yeah. Okay. But I played electric first, you know, and then I played guitar because we couldn't find a guitar player, so I got a guitar. So and I actually learned to play guitar chords by sitting at the piano and figuring out what notes were in the chord and then figuring out how I could play those notes on the guitar within the range of my hand, and then realizing I couldn't play every note in the chord, like if you play a a nine, you can't play, say you play a C nine, you can't play C, E, G, B flat, and D, you have to maybe leave something out. So that made me understand which notes were important, in creating that color. I always mm-hmm. looked at sound as color and a shape or something, and not shape of a hand, but a color, a shade. And, and uh, that's kind of where, where I went. And I, I could have saved a lot of time by taking some lessons, believe me. <laughs> I really could have. Lessons are really good, folks. <laughs> Take lessons. But uh, that's what I did. And, you know, my bass teacher, in playing bass, you learn that shifting is a must because you can't play that many notes in, without moving your, moving along the neck. So when you move from, from here, when we move to here, that's called a shift. And practicing shifting helped a lot uh he had me practice without my thumb touching the back of the bass I'd practice like this on on the bass and practice playing like this I mean my hand would be back there but my thumb wouldn't be touching anything so I did that on guitar too I figured out guitar and banjo I i I look at it as, and he always told me, you know, man, your elbows got to be up. You got to have, basically, he taught me how to engage with an instrument in a natural way. Because if you have to contort your body to play an instrument and it hurts, then you're, it's not, you can't do that. You're hurting yourself, which is why I've, I've played, you know, I mean, you know, Mardi Gras time when I was younger, man, I've, oh, or 8, 12. I'll play like 13 jobs between Friday and Sunday night. <laughs> mm-hmm.
4: So
2: we're all day long. I never get cramps or anything because I, there's nothing tight in here. You know? Mm-hmm. If you squeeze, I, I'll, I don't have long sleeves, but if you squeeze your arm, if you just make a fist and squeeze, you can see all this tightness in your arm. And if you don't squeeze, there's nothing there. And I compare that to taking a water hose and crimping it you know you're you're fighting against the flow of the water you're fighting against the flow of energy you're fighting against the the natural movement so all of that involved makes makes me who I am now so that's when I like that I play this C arpeggio on the tenor which and I make one shift It's all in one shift, mm-hmm. and in in my teaching, I call it I call that concept the economy of shifting. Because if you can, the less you can shift, the better. And in many cases, I mean, there's always a case where you. You want to, if you have to play, you might not be able to play it in a certain position. You might have to and shift to do that. But um, anyway, I'm getting kind of deep into something with no end.
3: <laughs> it, it's very good talking to the, the shifts. I know uh, taking a lesson with you before you talking about the shifts, and it did really help me. Yeah. Um, so it is very important because the tenor banjo, you know, let talk about the tuning of it, you know, because it's tuned in fifths, like, like a viola um, or a cello, right. um, but also, you know, different notes, but like a mandolin, but, but you can't, it's much larger than a, than a mandolin or a violin. So you do have to do these shifts. And, and so maybe yeah. talk a little about the tuning and, and cause there's a question about how you're tuning it and then, why the, that tuning and the, and, the, and the scale length kind of causes you to shift.
2: Okay. More. Well, think of it as a cello. Yeah. A cello is kind of like a small bass. But when uh, it's tuned in fifths, the, the notes are C, G, D, and A. So... Um, When I play, say, an open C chord, I'm crossing three octaves. And as opposed to maybe a five-string banjo, which is crossing one octave, I think. I've got C here, C here, C here. So it's three octaves of C. Out of tune here. Anyway. Oh, God. It's the fourth time I said it anyway. <laughs> um, I'm, I I th- I really believe that the tenor banjo became the popular banjo in New Orleans jazz because of all the horns in the band. I- if you go to a piano and you play a C E G, play them together. You know, or I'm going to say F A. I'll say G B D. That's, that's a five-string tuning, right? An open. That's not going to cut through as much as... Because that, that openness allows for the harmonic structure of the notes to reinforce things. Uh, I, I might be talking a little, not above anybody, but maybe it's something you've never... It, talked about the harmonic structure of sound it's it's a it's a little science kind of it's physics but it, it's very easy to explain on a string instrument because the string rings as one and then as two halves you call these harmonics you know you've, you string players it rings as three it rings as four parts as five parts six, seven, eight and on and on beyond where we can hear. But all of that in this one string, it's also ringing these different harmonics inside of that. So by having the range of the chord across two octaves, a full two octaves, I think it really helps the banjo to cut through and be effective in, in a band with horn players and stuff. Uh, the tenor banjo came about around 1905 because of glee clubs. It was basically a marketing thing. Uh, mandolins and banjos were going back and forth as in popularity, so I, don't, I forget what company it was. It decided, oh, we'll make a, a banjo tuned in 5th We'll call it a tenor banjo. So... That's how it came about. But I you know, I think I think it's great. I find myself a little limited when I try to play a five string or a plectrum because of the range. Now of course when I play this, I'm I'm I've got a basic one finger on each fret, but if you think about it, it's more like this kind of fingering. It's more of a cello finger. If you can do that, this stretch is easy for me because I played bass. Mm-hmm. But even if you can't stretch right now, if you practice, it'll happen. But it, it takes it takes a while, a uh, couple of months. But if you keep trying, it's going to happen.
3: And would you say the tenor banjo is more popular in New Orleans than the plectrum traditionally?
2: Because of the music that's played. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. I think
3: so. Because of of what you just said, because of the larger tuning and it can punctuate. But
2: there are are plectrum players. So I'm not, you know, I don't want to take away from that because there's some plectrum players and they sound great. Right. Um, my personal and, preference would be this. Because I, when I first started, I tuned it like the top four of the guitar, which I think some people call Chicago tuning. When You can do that, too. It's fine how you tune it. Um, I got hold of a six-string banjo, and then I thought, well, you know what, maybe I'll tune this one as tenor because I've got a guitar tuning. So that's what happened there.
3: Okay. That was my next question. Why'd you, why'd you make that switch to tenor tuning? Um, and you didn't, you didn't want to play the, the guitar, the, the six string banjo. Um, um so you wanted to go four strings.
2: Nah, it's not that I didn't want to. It's cause it was actually an easier transition for me mm-hmm. and you can do a lot of things with it. So I'm not against it. In fact, I still play it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that my, my chosen axe, as we say, is the tenor banjo. And um, it's really a challenge to, to uh, play chords and get those colors. You have to be particular about what, what notes you want to play. Like uh, like I'll play a, 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 just a triad chord, a seven chord, or I might play a seven chord as a three note voicing. Or, or I might add the 13 by, you know, flat 13. It still has that, I can still get the basic color of, of what I'm looking for, but I'll, I can only choose four notes.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> That's a challenge. <laughs> so.
3: Well, we have somebody in the chat asking for you, ask, have a request for you to play "Careless Love." Would you would you like to play that for us?
2: Sure, sure. Um, I made a lady cry one time on a concert. I played that.
1: And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, <laughs> Please don't cry anymore. Love, oh love, oh careless love love, see what love has done to me, I cried last night and the night before, I cried last night and the night before Tonight I'll cry then cry no more Love alone oh Okay oh love See what love has done
3: sample of, of a mellow tune, you know, mellow yeah. on, the, on the on the tenor banjo there. After, yeah,
2: man, we were in Orvieto, Italy. I was, I was with Evan Christopher. and We ended with that tune, and this lady starts crying. She's bawling in the back, and it was, I just had to laugh, man. Every time I play it, I think of that because our boyfriend comes up, "Hey,
1: you're making my woman to cry." <laughs> I'm like, "Man, I'm sorry, bro." <laughs>
2: it's it's so great man reminds me of charlie Mm -hmm. achapini way back in the days you know oh y'all don't know charlie he was a drummer i I don't i don't but i'd call his dad's house man because back then i lived in the lower ninth ward my number at 277 Mm -hmm. and he says hey uh, charlie is a not to hear so i'd say well (laughs) He says, Give him me your number and I'm going to tell him I'll call you. And I said, Okay, it's 277. Seven. He said, Okay, wait, wait, wait. 277. And he would just, that was the way he talked. You know, I, I just thought it was so charming, man. I, just, <laughs> I love the song of all the different languages. Man.
3: Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about a little bit about your banjo. You're playing an open back banjo with a fiber skin head on it, um, which is for for traditional jazz is a little bit unique. Um, why did you Why do you choose that setup uh, on 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 your? Banjo? I was,
2: I was looking to make it darker because uh-huh. I I just don't like the plastic sound, plastic head. Right. So the fiber skin head made it a little darker. Actually, this tailpiece made it a little darker.
3: That Ottinger tailpiece? Yep. yeah,
2: sure did. Changed the sound of it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm playing an ohm banjo.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, they're friends uh, of ours.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually got uh, Chuck to make a wooden uh, armrest because the metal ones, I'd wear them out. And uh-huh. it would, I had, every suit I had would develop a hole right here. It's just, it was expensive. <laughs> so I don't, I actually don't hold my hand on there as much anymore. But the wooden rest just feels so much better than me. So he, he worked on it and they got this nice one here. Um, the other thing, this one's a little, it's similar to their model. I think they call it a Juniper. Mm-hmm. But it's there's something custom about it because um, maybe there's no tone ring. Maybe there's nothing metal in here. It's all wood, so it makes it even a little darker. But I kind of I like that sound.
1: Mm-hmm. I like that because I
2: still get the drum and it reminds, it's closer to the Goni or the Halam, you know, because I got to play with the African guys, you know, from Mali and Senegal and, and when I play with it sounds more like that, you know, you know, that kind of thing and, it just it has that sound. Of course, it sustains a little more, and it's just a, my preference. My preference. Yeah, yeah. That's all.
3: And this, who are some of your biggest influences when it comes to to the banjo and uh, and and, tra- and traditional jazz as well?
2: Um, well, later in my life, it was Danny Barker because I got to work with him, and he played a six string banjo. Uh, but earlier on, it was Johnny St. Cyr, mm-hmm. and who also played six-string, but I think he might have played tenor. I'm not real sure. But, you know, that early Jelly Roll stuff, it was like, a, you know... Uh, I, I don't even, I can't play it. I, I don't remember. You know... It's like that real the real rhythmic, the groove, man. It's the groove. <laughs> that right hand, you know? And uh it was that groove that he just had it. And then I liked his bass lines too, you know, it was like So that kind of thing, I, I really dug that about Johnny St. Cyr. Um, Ike Robinson played with Jabo Smith in the late twenties. It was sort of a, a, a competition with the Armstrong Hot Five band, you know, for another label. And Ike, I dug what he was doing too. So, and you know, I, I'd listen to all these different records and not even know who was playing sometimes. And then Robert Parker turned me on to Harry Reeser who just made me practice more you know, <laughs> and, and learn, you know, learn all these, you
4: know.
2: Uh, I can't remember the tune, but it's like those kinds of things where you had these lines. I can't can't remember it at all. But that was, you know, that. Um, And then some of my guitar stuff, learning how to play chromatically. It's just shifting, right? Mm -hmm. So guitar would be more like... (laughs) You just go one fret, but these... (laughs) Anyway, uh, that's oh, it's the fifth time I said anyway. Um, that, you know, just technique things. I mean, right now I'm just trying to learn, play as melodically as I can because I, I didn't really learn a lot of melodies and I'm, I'm more into composing and, and writing a lot now. So, melodies mean a lot.
3: <laughs> and do you compose on the banjo ever? Or are you composing on guitar or, or, or other instruments?
2: Um, sometimes it's the banjo. Um, you know, there was a song on my Banjo a la Creole record. Most of those were composed on the banjo. Uh, I call it Grassy Blue because I always kind of like that finger picking sound. That, okay. Well, Doc Watson was the cat, bro. Doc would play, he did one called Country Blues, where it sounds like he's riding a horse. I could just see him riding the horse, man. So I came up with this kind of open D sound. It's called a grassy blue, and the banjo part, then there's a horn line goes. You know,
4: that
2: kind of part. But the banjo does. <laughs> right <laughs> So it's like this in the bassline because I played all of it, man. I did it all on tracks, right? It's right. because nobody's hearing the crazy stuff in my head, man. So I had to do it. I even played, I forgot a trumpet plot when we were recording it. Oh, man, it took me three or four weeks to build up enough chops to play that trumpet part that was missing. But, uh, you know, I like that, man. I did a session a few months ago. They wanted it to sound like some tune that was a John Denver tune. And he says, man, you play five string? I said, I, I could sound like that. <laughs> so it's like I just just kind of of pick, you with my pick, you know.
4: Uh, yeah,
2: so, I just, you know, I learned that from Tommy Tedesco. You get a gig, never say no. Man, can you play, can you play, Uh, you know, flamenco music? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'll show up with my band, George. <laughs> Try to play that. Man. He says, you might not do it. They'll kick you out, but they'll forget who you are and they'll get a call again. <laughs>
3: I've gotten myself into some situations from, from that, that mentality. Definitely.
2: Tommy's my man, bro. I love it.
3: Well, we're heading up to the top of the hour. Um, I know you've got to run soon and, uh, I could keep, keep chatting with you for a long time. Um,
0: but Jamie, do we have any questions in the chat that we need to get to? No, I think, uh, I think this has been really informative. Um, Don, thank you so much for joining us. I think we've got any, uh, is there anything else Dave that you want to, so when there was a question that they've had, and I think for people like me, uh, that are maybe not as immersed in, in that scene as you guys are. Um, but, uh, they wrote a lot of people call New Orleans jazz Dixieland. Um, is there a difference? Or is, is Dixieland something else? Or could you explain the differences there a little bit? Well, I it's a term that we hear quite a lot. And
1: I can, like. s-
2: I can tell you this. Uh, Doc Cheatham said everything down here, they called it Dixieland. So that's what he called it. We There's a movement to stop using Dixieland because of Dixie in it. And, you know, to be blunt... The song Dixie was kind of like the fight song for the Ku Klux Klan and the mm-hmm. white supremacist. So, you know, we just stopped playing it because <laughs> I think it was written by a black guy.
3: But, it was. Uh, yeah. yeah.
2: You know, I mean, but it, it's sort of like it's sort of like the Nazi symbol in ancient times being a symbol of peace. Well, it's been it's it's not anymore and you don't want, we don't use it, you know, yeah. it's kind of like that. So. Man, so so no one had a question for me? Oh man, I'm there we <laughs> no, got questions.
3: We got we got to them already. You kind of fed them in through through, okay. through questions about uh, about tuning and, and, and other, other items get, on, about the band. Get him yeah. out of
1: here. Get him out of here. <laughs> get
2: bring nah, back, was,
3: bring back the
2: five string. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I tell you what, I get a sense that a lot of the people who watch during live uh really enjoy... Uh, getting some four-string action now and again as well. So we, uh, we appreciate that a hell of a I, lot. So.
2: Oh, man, I had, a, I had a comeback for that. I shouldn't say it, though.
0: Family, family show, man. Family <laughs> show.
2: You know, Bunchy used to say, after every comment, Bunchy, uh, our old departed drummer friend Bunchy, would say, that's what she said. So when you said four-string action, I thought, nah, love you, Bunchy.
0: <laughs> See, my, Michael Corey says it best, too interesting to interrupt with a question. that's what I that love is.
2: it. that's oh, what's going
0: well, on and, and that's uh,
2: very nice, Michael, thank you, man.
0: There we go, absolutely. um yeah, that was awesome dude I, I've got nothing to add it's It's so informative and so in, insightful to have someone of your caliber uh on here. uh Gino just asked a question real quick. Can you demonstrate some baseline passage in between chords? ask and you shall receive (laughs) just like that Awesome. Well done. Thank you so, so much for your time today. Um, that was a real, real pleasure. Really fascinating stuff and, and just a beautiful sound. Um, and uh, I'm off to go tell production to get ready to make some more tenor banjos because I get the sense that people enjoyed that.
2: <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny, but if you play guitar, I think tenor banjo is an easy easy crossover. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you can tune it as a guitar at first, but actually tuning it in fifths, the chords never change, like like G, E, and C are going to be G, E, and C here. It's going to be the same exact shape, especially if you play three note chords. They move all over the place. I Look, I'll tell you, if, if you put any time into it, when I was working at Preservation Hall, that's when I decided to tune a tenor. It was a Tuesday morning, I was playing that night, I learned a major and minor. And a major and minor, and I went to work.
3: <laughs> Jumped out. That's just, I mean I, th- I remember I was told you know, get a tenor banjo and you'll start you'll start working, and yeah, yeah. you just some chords up the neck and and
2: it, it'll happen. Things,
3: man. It'll happen. Yeah. And yeah. from guitar, Carl LeBlanc has a has an interesting way of looking at it. <laughs> like, you know, but um, he could because it's tuned in fifths, but it's actually tuned in fourths upside down. Carlo Blanc is a great guitar player in town who plays tenor banjos.
2: Oh, I'm a bass player. So, that's uh, exactly right. And look how many bass players become banjo players.
3: Because it's, do you look at it upside down? And that's what way Carl explains in his head. He's looking at it upside upside down mm-hmm. guitar. Almost.
2: Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Tanner rains. There we go. Tanner rains. All right. Any closing thoughts, you guys? You you're both Louisiana cats, I'm not. You 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 guys got the floor. I'd love to
3: hear another tune if you have time. If you don't, if you have to run, that's fine. But uh, uh but know, I'd love to hear one more tune.
2: Let, let me do uh this is a song on the album and it's not one that I wrote. It's an old song that is actually shared among the different genres of playing at least in the banjo world. Um, uh,
0: so, so before it's you gone. play before yes. you play i want to finish this up by telling everybody to go to donvappy.com to buy your albums you can listen to them there download them buy the, by the cd which you said is a a wonderful coaster if you don't like the cd but it's a good looking coaster but it, yeah. apparently they're, they're, i've heard them they're fantastic so please donvappy.com go check them out don the floor is yours my friend all
2: right thank you <laughs> <laughs> to make, makes a great coaster. Thank you very much. That's, why, that's what you said, not me. I did. <laughs> if yeah. you don't like the music, that was our thing. Buy these CDs. <laughs> man, if you don't like the music, it makes a great coaster. <laughs> you know? But um, this is a song that, that you guys play. I know you know it. It's called Red Wing.
4: hmm
2: Well, Red Wing was the song played by the ice cream truck when I was a kid. <laughs> and that's what I remember. Like... know the ice cream truck was coming right and and what used to really bug me and i was really really young it's like that break wasn't in time (laughs) you know two three four one it was like and, and it would just start at some random moment but that's a machine so here i go